Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to the AEW Dynamite Review. I'm Adam Wilborn from What Culture, joined by the Dudley Boys of What Culture, Michael Hamflow and Michael Sidgwick, here to review everything that happened on last night's episode of AEW Dynamite. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on either iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts from, for daily wrestling podcasts, where we not only review AEW Dynamite, but also AEW Rampage, Raw, SmackDown, NXT 2.0, pay-per-views, bloody premium live events. We have interviews, roundtable discussions, and a roundup of the week complete with a bloody good quiz, of course, on wrestle culture. As I said, though, joined by Hamlet Sidgwick to review AEW Dynamite, and they listened. They listened. They goddamn listened. Um, just in case it doesn't come up on the show, our major sweeping criticism last week and indeed the last however many months is that they are kind of taking the piss with how contrived everything is feels on the show the more contrived things that happen on the show the more it feels like a show the more it feels like wwe there were two backstage segments which were kind of nothing segments obligatory ways to build future matches that he's are doing or to further feuds that are ongoing but it's the way they're framed it's vital to this you want it to be perfect you want it to feel perfect you want to feel immersed in it you want it to feel it's real the constant interruptions we've talked a lot about peeling the roof off and everyone's just all the heels are, like, lurking about. It's a ridiculous scene if you think about it for more than five seconds. There were two backstage segments here. One was interrupted, but it actually felt a little bit hot, and it felt a little bit like mm. a transgression when Layla Hirsch did it. And it would make sense for her to be there. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Um, but beyond that, there were two segments that no one will praise, except me, because I'm a pedantic dork, but these things matter. Um, Anna Jay and Jade Cargill, to build their match, was simply stood next to one another. No one interrupted. They were simply stood next to one another in the first place as if it was just like a little bit of a boxer UFC fight. Like they were instructed to be there. you got to be there for quarter past ten for your big showdown. Yeah. Like, as if that's your job. You need to promote your match. Yeah. You need to promote your so fight. we signed it. We'll do this, we'll do yeah. this almost before we'll do a, do a face-off photo or something. Let's have a little chat. Yeah. yeah. Uh, like all combat sports fights get mm-hmm. promoted. The way to do it is to do it realistically, dot, 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 as in combat sports. This was just close enough for me to think, great, fantastic. This was not the only thing they did to experiment with a format that they realized that they got buried for and they listened to in some way correct it because when um, Lee Moriarty, Matt Seidel, and Dante Martin were interviewed, 
they had their comments, and then they threw to Ricky Starks and Powerhouse Hobbs to respond, rather than have Ricky Starks and Powerhouse Hobbs be the 15th act to interrupt <laughs> another act. There were certain interruptions interruptions on the show, but if you measure it correctly, you make it feel less fake and less contrived and less overbooked. Yeah, completely agree. This was not the best Dynamite ever, but it felt like it in the sense that it arrested what felt like a slide. Um AEW has made what once felt great to have back normal. So when you're constantly striving for perfect with AEW, that bar sort of gets raised. Mm. So what was once perfect is now established and is the norm. So now it's like, well, what else is perfect? What else can you fix? What else can you tweak? And that's hard enough, not least when you feel like you're entering a bit of a creative downswing or there's a feeling of like laziness or sloppiness or all those things creeping in that we've talked about on a on a few podcasts lately and this yeah in listening and attempting to what felt to me like directly address some of them as well who knows if our complaints or the complaints of some of the other like media or commentariat reflects the wider audience like we like to think we represent a portion of it but we don't know that for definite but it certainly felt like it must have been felt internally yes for them to want to uh, make some of them very very direct and obvious changes throughout this specific broadcast really pleasing and like away from all of that as a standalone episode like solid and at times great yeah so like and that for a, for a spell last summer was the minimum expectation for dynamite yeah so let's get back to that being what we want at least of a wednesday night my key phrase before we go into the actual segment by segment rundown is at times AEW dynamite is episodic to a fault they are constantly shooting things the more angles you shoot the more it gets removed from the fact that Lad is meant to be a sports league with some fixtures. Wrestlers hate each other. This drives conflict. I'm not an idiot. But the more you do it, the more it feels redundant and fake. The ending to this show was simply a happy ending where a really well-received baby te- babyface team defeats these dickhead heels who are trying to have a go at them. And they simply celebrated because the match ended. I was genuinely shocked by that. I was like, oh, they're just going to stand and be happy in the ring. No, <laughs> no, stable, no stables, yeah. no rampage match to plug, nothing like that. Just done. Yeah, like the, It's completed for this week. On to next week. Yeah, yeah. just a quick point out as, as well as I always say, uh, at what culture WWE, at Michael Hanflat, at M. Sidrick, at Adam Wilborn, if you want to direct your apologies towards us <laughs> for obviously our correct take last week, then feel free to do that. Um, yeah, ex- exactly. A vast improvement on, on last week, in my opinion, this show. Still not perfect. Uh, without question, some issues that we will dive into as we go through the show. But yeah, night and day compared to, to last week. And whilst I am talking about Twitter, I should give a huge shout out to Kyle Felcher, uh, who went along to the show last night uh, with a, a couple of brilliant signs. One that simply says mega fan with an arrow pointing to himself. And one that says huge bat. Huge bat. <laughs> so thank you to Kyle for that. What, what an incredibly respectable guy he is as well. I know. Incredibly prominent guy who sometimes <laughs> who's somehow likes our weird stuff. Like, it's class. Yeah, and also, I forgot to mention him yesterday, so I'm going to mention him now. Uh, shout out to Chef Coley, who had us on for his five and a half hour drive home yesterday. Uh, so thank you, as always, uh, for, for, for joining us for that. And uh, hopefully this will keep you entertained today because we've got a lot to get into on this Dynamite review. Let's so are we better than 5-Hour Energy? Is that official now? Or <laughs> are them stupid products that JBL used to shill? Hang like, on. Po- like, our podcasts are better than them. Let me just check the charts. Well, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Right, so we started, obviously, with the return of John Moxley. Fantastic, obviously, to see him back in an AEW ring after all that he's gone through 
uh, at the end of last year and started this one. Uh, Wild Thing opens the show. Of course, you kind of had to open it with this. He gets a, a huge uh, reaction, welcome back chant. He's walking through this crowd who just adore him. Except for one knobhead who thought it was a good idea to heckle him. I'm not even going to give what he said a uh, mention here. He said something absolutely stupid and uh, was told, quite rightly, to go f*** himself <laughs> by, uh, by John Moxley, who told them to get this dumbass out of there. You've gone all that way, you've paid all that money, and you've seen a minute. It's probably a fed-pilled mutant, if we're being honest. <laughs> Why do it, though? Why go? Like... If I don't like something, I just don't look at it. It's not difficult. This is the thing, though, isn't it? You were telling me about this. Yeah, like, there's various... sign last week. And... There's various um, cornet cult idiots who pay pretty sizable sums of money to sit prominently at ringside and display signs of anti-AEW sentiment. What an absolute bunch of losers. Odd behaviour. I mean, honestly, it's, it goes down to the point I've been trying to make and I've been trying to maintain of, like, punching down where you wouldn't say to... They wouldn't say these things to our faces or... Mm. I mean, John Mox's faces, but at a safe distance. That's. I wouldn't say, oh, you're an unfulfilled loser in real life because if you picture the person behind the keyboard, then you'll be revolted, probably. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, just as a... On the off chance that we're catching crossover listeners that listen to Corner and us... Take signs, just take ones about our podcast. Yeah, that's fine. You wouldn't be revolted. That's wrong of me to say. You would just feel... You wouldn't tell what kind of person they are from what they look like. That should be absolutely addressed first and foremost. But if you've got a peek into their lives, it can't be fulfilling. It can't be happy. Like, just ignore them. Um, It's funny, because I was thinking, like, what's he going to do? What's he going to say? What is this version of John Moxley going to be like? He looked, obviously... Everyone's been sharing on Twitter today. There's a sort of before and after of all this, and, and what a difference this has all made. But thinking, like, what's he going to do? What's he going to say? Oh, cool. So it's the same old John Moxley. Like, we haven't lost anything, but we loved about him uh, all those months ago. Anyway, he uh, cuts this promo. He talks about a while ago, he landed in a city. He doesn't remember it. Uh, He was on the side of the road, hands and knees in the dirt, a black cloud hanging over him, the kind that follows you for years, he said. Everyone has them. He said, "This, this cloud, it's like a... It's like a demon. It's laughing at him. He says, everything that you have that's good, none of that it belongs to you. Where do you even get off? Do you really think you were going to make it out? Uh, and he said he woke up before he could answer. He said, look, we all carry scars, but the ones on the inside are harder to see. We try and cover them, but we should be proud of them. They tell our story, he says. These scars make us the people we are. No one is perfect, and that's him. He's sure there are plenty of people uh, somewhere who want to write him off, who doubt him. It won't be the first time or the last time. Go ahead and say what you want. Think what you want. He'll tell them what he told the cloud. Take all that shiz and shove it up your ass. Uh, He doesn't run from demons. He just beats the shiz out of them. For everyone that supported him, thank uh, thank you. Buckle up. 2022 will be a pilgrimage, Moxley says. He will grab the world of professional wrestling by the walls. Because now, more than ever... Tony (laughs) D'Ambrose. He is truly free. And he said he's thirsty. But all these these days, all he drinks, Michael Sidgwick, is blood. Uh, Right. That line... That will stick with me for a long, long time, if not forever. We were um, previewing this show. Obviously, it's redundant now, but, you know, if you want to give us another listen, (laughs) you can do so wherever you get your podcast from. But we were trying to gauge how this was going to go and what we wanted from it. 
And I think we arrived somewhere between the middle. It's like, you want to know the real-life person is good, but in a greedy way because we loved him so much, you kind of want to see that John Moxley is back. You want to, the performer and the man, how does he strike that balance? Because John Moxley is a goddamn poet who can get across in a short promo more than virtually anybody else can get across in a long one. He tells you that the man, Jonathan Good, and the performer, John Moxley, are back at the same time in four incredibly badass, iconic words that could go on a goddamn T-shirt like that. I only drink blood is him saying, I've kicked it. I'm happy that I've kicked it. Be assured that I'm well now. Also, I'm the hardest guy and the best John Carpenter protagonist <laughs> who never was. I just couldn't get over how awesome that line was. The guy's absolutely incredible. It was great to see him in absolutely astonishing um, shape. This was genuinely uplifting stuff. Like John Moxley, as we said throughout 2020, when we knew that the ones you'd like to think were good, were not. You'll never know for sure. John Moxley is one of the very select few you just simply know are the good guys. And to see him at in this healthy space in his life was just incredible. Yeah, like really stirring stuff. Found myself welling up, and I think I would have out and out gone if Eddie Kingston had a joined him for a hug at the end or something like that. What a man and what a moment this was as a wrestling promo. And just on that very quickly, there was an quite appropriate, I guess, synergy with the CM Punk return. You know, considering the subject matter, they should be like worlds apart, but yes. instead they felt very much close together. And just quite awesome that AEW is the stage for these performers to have these moments. There is precedent quickly being set that when times like these come along, wrestlers can have this ring to do this instead of it being exploited for storyline purposes or instead of it being cheapened in the way that other promotions, and not just WWE, by the way, wrestling, historically, yes. would cheapen these things. Um, AW is doing it differently. This is change the world stuff. Genuinely, this sort of this way of dealing with these things. Um, the, like, the ability of the performers to blend the fact with the fiction helps exponentially because when you can do that, it obviously joins the two worlds together without feeling a little bit detached. Moxley as Cedric points out, was always going to be perfect at that. That element of this, I think, was never in doubt, was it? And as the comparison to the pandemic is apt, who better to talk about the trials of life than John Moxley? He did it when the world needed it most, and now we were there to listen when he did. And what was so great, you pointed out, Wilborn, you said, you know, John Moxley comes back, and he's still John Moxley. That's addiction. He's got this forever. So he's himself before, during, and after this addiction – and what a better way to, yet again, relate to the people through the screen that might be going through those same struggles, big or small. It talks about the scars on the inside and all that sort of thing. Surely everybody sat there and felt at one with John Moxley in that moment. And they're going to do that for the rest of his life on screen mm -hmm. because they know what he's going to battle. Uh, just like, this is moving wrestling forward. This is moving conversation forward. And there are a few people better than the likes of John Moxley and Eddie Kingston to do it. I, I love him. Yeah. I, I love John Moxley. Like, very, very deeply love John Moxley. And the only thing I thought that was missing, uh, and I didn't want an interruption or, you know, an attack or anything like that, was like, ah, oh, it's a shame we're not going to get a match with him soon, like on Rampage or something. And then they fix that later on. Yeah, this is preview fodder, but what a perfect opponent. Yeah. Ideal. Absolutely perfect. I mean, he's opponent. insane for offering him out, Who, but yeah. Who's the actual man of the year? Don Moxley. Yeah. <laughs> 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 right, we go backstage. We'll talk about that in, in due course, of course. We go backstage because there is MJF. Uh, Wardlow is behind him. Again, just in terms of the shot, perfect. Maxwell's directing everything down the lens to us. 
and Wardlow's reacting over his shoulder and you don't really know who to focus on. Uh, Max says, uh, last week was an abomination. Punk should have taken on the, taken the loss on the chin like a man, but he rolled up Wardlow, effectively implying like a little bit of a bitch. And he said, <laughs> but yeah, you know, if granted if Wardlow had a little bit more seasoning, he would have, uh, or he should have, reversed it. Um, but that, hey, that's not what he's here to do. Uh, he's here to apologise to Wardlow. It's his birthday, Sige. Uh, and he lost his call last week. Um, that's not okay. But Wardlow did put his hands on MJF, and unfortunately, hands are tied a bit there. He can't allow that. It pains him to do this. But Hamfoot, he's going to have to dock MJF's pay. Uh, he's going to have to dock Wardlow's pay. Apologies. But hey, if he w- racks up some wins and he gets that TNT title back, hey, he'll get his money back. He believes in Wardlow. And he believes in Spears too. And Spears is going to get the job done. He's better than you. Puts his arm around Wardlow. And you know it. It's great fun with what we know is to come. Obviously, the match itself. MJF taking money out of Wardlow's birthday card is absolutely incredible. Hours after he wished our truth happy birthday on Twitter, by the way. <laughs> he went to Wikipedia and wrestler birthdays yeah. in order to find somebody not Wardlow to wish many happy returns. I saw to. that tweet and went. What's he? Oh, yeah, I got it. Incredible. Um, I another. I mean, we're in the the hot space of the Batista is giving Triple H every look. Diesel's getting sick of Shawn Michaels. Pick your example because this is kind of the coolest moment. I don't want to ruin the fun for people, but this is actually the best bit of the story. Having lived through these before, mean you'd be texting about Bailey and Sasha. This, yeah, like the turn is always great. When you know it's coming, this is the best bit, man. The looks, the little side eyes, the point at which MJF, always the smartest guy in the room, always one step ahead of us with taking the money out of the card, in this case, and all the various other things with CM Punk. But finally, one step behind somebody, and he's one step behind the guy that's going to absolutely destroy him one of these days. Um, we talked yesterday on how Wardlow might factor into the match, um, and we couldn't really land on something that we were all particularly happy with. Clearly, nor could AW. This was loads better. What a solution to... It wasn't a problem, but what a solution to this little creative situation they found themselves in. This is pretty much a perfect, low-key perfect yeah. segment of pro wrestling television. If there's one flaw in this entire thing, it's Wardlow, why are you taking so long to do the turn? Because you know this guy's a piece of trash. You know he's using you. You know the crowd are behind you. You know they have... You have their support. You know you're getting over. You know you want to break free. So MJF being a little bit nice to him, out of character. It's probably the nicest he's been, (laughs) sincerely, (laughs) to a degree, on AEW Dynamite TV so far. You kind of got a little glimpse into the fact that, oh, you know, they probably share the same car, and they probably chat on the road. They probably have established a bit of a friendship at this point. So there's a little layer to it that kind of, they're getting away with something in the best possible way of the one tiny little thing that you could sort of uh, unhook and the whole thing would unravel. So that was great. Wardlow's understated facial expressions continue to be incredible. There's such a range on such a handsome face as well. Oh. There's such a range to it as well. There's times when he's kind of looking a little bit like, oh, you complete cock. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm quietly putting up with you. You're a complete cock. And then there was one genuinely exhilarating moment when he kind of like cracks his neck and stares at him as if to say, I'm seconds away from powerbombing you right here, right now. And then he kind of just peels it back. And it's incredible. Like the misnomer with um, 
Wardlow Ward Ward <laughs> is that oh, he's got this incredible meathead energy. And he does. That's one of the reasons why people gravitate towards him. This is a guy who will bellow at the top of his lungs. Who's a fucking murder. But he's also like one of the most low-key intelligent storytellers in the entire goddamn industry. Um, I can't wait for the turn when it happens. I was thinking as well, um, basically what MJF has done here is kind of like dragged Wardlow through a HR procedural, isn't he? Because he's his employer. He still pays him. I really, really want after the turn, like that night when Wardlow finally snaps and turns, Tony Khan to tweet, I'm pleased to offer Wardlow a contract. Wardlow's all elite and the graphics come up. So not only has he just freed himself, but he's also got the financial security to completely batter it. Like, there needs to be no recrimination, no regret. Like, something like that just to sort of confirm that he doesn't need MJF's money, he's not on the payroll, and there is nothing linking him to him anymore. Are you saying you could say a promo along the lines of, let's just say... I don't need you anymore, Maxwell. I said, I said need, and I knew where it was going, and I just... I you fool! Push the word back in. Come on. Uh, right, uh, then we got the uh, the mixed tag match. It was Adam Cole and Britt Baker versus Orange Cassidy and Chris Statlander. Um, uh, Chris and Britt start the match off, and Britt Baker immediately tags out. And obviously that means the men have to come in. Uh, Cole comes in, they square up, and Cole immediately tags out, which means it's got to go back to... To uh, uh, Orange Ca- uh, to Britt Baker and Chris Statlander. So Britt Baker comes in. Orange Cassidy goes, I don't think I will. And he does the lazy kicks on Britt Baker. And the crowd love it. But she responds by stomping on his foot. And he tags Chris Statlander in. Statlander uh, actually gets the better of Britt Baker early on. She uh, gets this nice delayed vertical suplex that Orange Cassidy helps with pushing it over. Uh, and they take Cole, uh, take Cole and Baker out at ringside. But unfortunately, they celebrate too long. That allows Cole and Baker to hit them with super kicks and have a lovely kiss ahead of the commercial break. When we come back, uh, Orange Cassidy just gets to Chris Statlander for the hot tag. She comes in, runs wild, hits a blue thunder bomb. That gets a two count. Uh, Baker fights back, though. Yeah, gets a cradle, hits a neck breaker. Um, Cole and Cassidy come back in. Cole hits an enziguri, but Orange comes back with the stun dog millionaire. Um, Baker, in amongst all this, gets a blind tag. Curb stomps Orange Cassidy, but then in comes Chris Statlander and cuts her off. Uh, she goes up top. Uh, Britt Baker is laid out next to the turnbuckle, and Adam Cole thinks, ha got the better of you here. He covers his girlfriend to protect her and says, well, you can't do anything there. And she goes, yeah, I can. And hits a 450. I think it's called the area... 451, yeah. yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, onto both of them, which was just sensational. Uh, Orange hits the beach break on Cole. Really good near fall off the back of this. Um, Cole, uh, well, Orange wants to hit him with this, the uh, orange punch, and Cole gets out onto the ramp. Uh, Orange Cassidy goes after him, and let's be honest, completely botches the dive over the top ropes, and allegedly it's a super kick. Regardless, Cole wants to hit him with the Panama Sunrise, but Statlander pushes Orange Cassidy back into the ring. Baker blindsides a super kick, uh, hits a Canadian Destroyer on the ramp. Uh, back in the ring, Cole hits the Panama Sunrise on Orange Cassidy, gets a near fall, but can't believe that he hasn't got the pinfall victory there. So him and Baker set up the uh, timekeeper's table, uh, take it sort of from close to ringside to right next to the ring, basically. In amongst all this, Baker's on the apron. Cole's getting back in. Orange Cassidy goes for the orange punch. Cole gets out of the way, and Orange Cassidy accidentally hits Brick Baker. She falls and goes through the table, and whilst the doctors uh, checking on her and the referees distracted with all this, uh, Adam Cole low blows Orange Cassidy, hits him with the boom, and gets the victory for him and his girlfriend. I just had a beaming smile on my face when I saw Orange Cassidy do the leg kicks to Britt Baker. The whole idea is Tony Khan doesn't want to do intergender wrestling. I endorse that to be 
completely frank. I don't want to open up that can of goddamn worms on this podcast. Um, but I just don't really want to see it, personally. So they do Orange Cassidy doing it to Britt Baker, which is, oh, my God, the invention there was incredible. They can subvert it. If there's any men's rights activists who are furiously hammering their fists into their keypads right now, why is it all right for a woman to hit a man? Like, touch grass. I've never <laughs> I've never once said that earnestly. I'm saying it right now. Go and goddamn touch grass. Read some goddamn statistics, huh? And uh, so that put a massive smile on my face, as did the vast majority of this match, even though... I love Chris Statlander. She needs to retire that weird apron shooting star that she does. Oh yeah, that was when that was when Cassidy just sort of fell off the apron. Heart in my heart and mouth moment. Like there is simply not enough space to land it in a way that doesn't make you feel anxious. Mm-hmm. That convincingly sort of flattens the opponent. It is there's just not enough space to do it. Does to it stop justify doing it. like the? Like grazing clothesline that you hit as well. It's a lot to do for what is effect. You could just run off the apron and hit that clothesline. You'd think someone (laughs) who comes from outer space would have an idea of how much space there is. (laughs) And there's very little to execute that move. That was the one time I was taken out of it where I thought, oh, it's just silly. That is just silly. There was some genuinely good drama in this. Um, I thought it was laid out very, very well. I know some people have qualms about the tag in and out, but for me, it builds suspense, and it's sort of, it's like smoke and mirrors, because they're always tagging out. You think, oh, well, you're not going to see, you know, Chris Statlander do anything to Adam Cole because it's not permitted within the parameters of the rules, which gets over that 451 spot so well, and I thought they played with the tags in and out to build to that really quite nicely. Uh, the crowd were hot for it. Um, the Baker and Cole act, like, I wouldn't want to, you know, I don't really want to see it as a long-term thing, but if it's something they're really prepared to do and the crowd are up for it, I don't really have any complaints about it. Um, the storytelling with Orange Cassidy, I thought, was the strongest attribute of this match, which is where Hamlet and I disagree. I love the idea that Orange Cassidy, who was in the best friend's stable, has this wholesome character attribute wherein he's a lazy slacker, He's smarter than you think, and sometimes he does it as strategy, but he's a lazy guy. That's his whole shtick. As a member of the best friend stable, he just wants to root behind his friend, and he believes in his friend, and he encourages his friend. That is the kind of wholesome thing that can penetrate even my charred husk <laughs> of humanity. Um, the way they arrived at yet another Adam Cole Orange Cassidy showdown um, was really well done, I thought. Um, and I think Orange Cassidy in a lights out match the contrast between persona and stipulation. The, if, if it isn't special, I think they are, um, it'll be a complete failure. If he doesn't get literal juice, <laughs> like claret, all over his face and fire up and, and create an iconic, like Scott Lesh, or um, who's the guy from The Observer who does the great photos as well? Speedy Lee. Speedy Lee does good ones as well. It's a guy from The Observer. Who got kicked out of the NXT shows because that company's Hot complete trash. Guy, yeah. JJ something. I don't know. I really apologize, but he shoots some great snaps as well. If they don't have Orange Cassidy, whites of his eyes, covered in blood, doing something awesome in a fire up comeback spot, because I just think there's so much potential there. Uh, but this all built towards it really quite tremendously, I thought. And I had a great time watching it. Yeah, I'll get your thoughts on the uh, the match and the forthcoming match because Kimber later. Last on. kick as well. Yeah. yeah. The Becky Lynch stuff, didn't she? 
Uh, Adam Cole, subsequent to this, there's a bit in between what we'll talk about in a second. Uh, he cuts a promo, he's furious. He said, look, Orange cassidy has been a thorn in his side. And then he goes and puts his hands on his girlfriend. What more do I need to do? And he said, how about next Wednesday, beach break, Cole versus Orange Cassidy, no DQ, lights out match. He promised to end Orange's career. Thoughts on that and the match? While I remember, while we're bouncing off the Adam Cole promo, this is never not great. And me and Cedric always celebrate the, uh, the Cody singing and firing champagne everywhere while Brandy's suffering the consequences of the injury she suffered in the match. But Adam Cole saying that after going, ref, ref, and screaming to get him away from looking after Britt to count the fall, to then go out. He's like, well, match first. We're at work. <laughs> We're at work. I'll come and see you in a minute. So like, the, that, like really good heel stuff. Um, Why are you ringing me at 10 past nine? <laughs> <laughs> I feel bad for how I feel about Orange Cassidy in this role because I like Sidgwick's take. Like we do disagree, but I like the take. I like that ultimately one of the things, it's not just Sidgwick's husk, it's kind of Orange Cassidy's husk, is slacker husk, that, that it can be penetrated by friendship. That's really nice. I believe that more than I believe half of the best friends act, quite honestly. I just feel a bit uncomfortable watching Orange Cassidy do it. That's always been the way. It's, I want to see not him... Not the way. <laughs> <laughs> I want to see him fire up and keep his glasses on and his hands in his pockets. And I never want to see it progress past that point. And when it does, I sometimes feel a bit awkward watching it. I think sometimes it veers. I didn't think he was very convincing as the, oh my God, what have I become? I've put a woman through a table. And that's only a split second of reacting, but it just, I find it a bit cringeworthy. I think the match will be totally different. Like the the lights out match, he's going to be perfect in that. Um, he is quite good at summoning violence when he needs to. He showed, the feud wasn't great, but he showed good flashes of anger against Chris Jericho. Um, that were probably forgotten because a lot of that went down the silly route and it was just something to fill the silence of the empty arena. But within the matches, there were times when he knew how to like get serious and get mm. furious. So I think the lights out match will be great. Cole will know how to work around um, all of the early stuff where Orange Cassidy still be in Orange Cassidy before it gets all very serious and violent. This match was fun. Um, I don't. I like this. I don't know if it was inventive as I maybe hoped. There were a few points where it was a little bit stilted and you kind of felt them moving from one spot to the next. And, you know, mixed tag matches don't look the easiest to construct. How often these all four get to work with each other, you know, you can understand a little bit of that. But at the same time, you've got a week. They're all pros. They all know the characters really well. You, you can have a higher bar that you maybe expect from that. What I will say, and this again, huge difference from Dynamite last week and maybe other weeks or even where this goes on this episode um, a great dynamite is like Christmas every day and the mood was right because I was in such a great mood off the start of the promo and the MJF <laughs> stuff that I was way happier with this than I would have been on a weaker show. It does, we've always said this, AW is a vibes promotion more than anything else and they'd established a really, really good one and something way worse than this would have got a pass. JJ Williams. Yes. Yeah. yeah. From uh, Some incredible online. Malachi Black photos. Was I attended NXT for like five, six years, didn't I? Yeah, they got booted out. What a complete dickhead company. <laughs> uh, right, we're backstage, and uh, they're talking about the fact that it's going to be Daniel Garcia and Tupo oh, uh, facing the inner circle. Uh, Jericho doesn't care uh, regarding Eddie Kingston. He can GFY, as far as he's concerned. As pointed out by Andrew Rich on Twitter, it is so goddamn funny that John Moxley... He didn't try to steal Jericho's heat. He was reacting like anyone would at his most vulnerable moment to a complete twat. 
actually said, <laughs> go fuck yourself. And poor Jericho's trying to do rooty tooty booty <laughs> in a feud with Eddie Kingston. And it's just, I mean, he deserves it. Like, deserves it for how bad the pattern is. Doing a promo deal with Steve Austin saying, I'm going to kick your bum. GFY, <laughs> <laughs> <GFY>, man. <laughs> God, so goddamn lame. Turn him heel. Stop trying to get GFY happening. <laughs> it's not going to happen. That's, how could he come up with such great patter? Sometimes Jericho, and then just think that's good. <laughs> There's a little guy in there. Chris Jericho said that. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, he's uh, he's saying he doesn't care, doesn't care about Eddie Kingston, uh, and Santana and Ortiz aren't happy about this. Ortiz says, "Well, we care about Kingston." Tread carefully when you mention his name. He says, "Look, maybe he's got a point. Maybe Kingston did have a point." Says Santana that maybe you're the reason we aren't tag champions. You know, we've always made been, been there to fight your battles, but when have you got our back? Maybe next week we're going to prove that we don't need him, to, need you to win. Maybe next week we'll focus, focus more on us instead of this. You feel me? And Jericho concludes by saying, no, I don't feel you. Jesus Christ. I, I do love the idea that, because I've said for a while, the idea of having so many stables in AEW opens up sprawling narrative opportunities. You can go bam, 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 bam before you get to the destination match. At some point, you have to think, all right, this is convenient for Tony Khan's booking, but what does it do for my career? So you have to like get inside the heads of the characters and you think, are they just happy doing runnings? Do they want to pursue titles? Chuffed a bit that this has been acknowledged within the inner circle after all this time. I love the idea of Santana and Ortiz potentially not even tagging Jericho into the trios match. That's a nice little hook that they could potentially do. The, the problem with everything continues to be Chris Jericho. <laughs> it, well, I feel Sean. This guy's entertained me for so many years, but like when he's bad, he's really bad. Yeah, it, this felt incredibly rushed. But Jericho's been so bad lately that like it was too cathartic for anyone to really care. Like, I, it, it, like for all that we've been watching and observing. Why are they sticking with this guy? It's never once been acknowledged on AEW television that there's been a, a problem at all. And then they've done it over the course of one promo and they've obviously acknowledged the relationship with Ed Kingston and used that. And I will actually give them a little bit of credit here. Just because we've been critical of why, the, the real why Chris Jericho is feuding with Eddie Kingston, it doesn't mean that AEW aren't now being creative in a kayfabe sense with how this is going to splinter the inner circle, which is how this is, mm. they're the overlapping relationships with Kingston and, I like that. I really do like that. And I like that they're getting where they need to go. Um, it's just, they just went from zero to 100, didn't they? <laughs> like, it's, the inner circle has been, like, this isn't Bullet Club is fine. Inner circle's been proper fine. And then all of a sudden, Power Powerful gone, oh, yeah, yeah, we're not. This, is, this has been a problem for eight months. <laughs> Over the course of one 30-second backstage. <laughs> Bit weird, but glad we're where we are. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. 
Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. That was followed by CM Punk versus Sean Spears. Uh, a lot briefer than we anticipated. Before the match can begin, uh, MJF comes out and teases, maybe even coming out to ringside, but then joins commentary. And he's very excited about watching Sean Spears defeat CM Punk. That didn't happen. In like 10 seconds, Punk grappled with him, got him up, hit the GTS and pinned him. Post-match, as Punk is sort of effectively saying, well, I've beaten everyone, you're next sort of thing. He's celebrating, he goes up on the, t- the turnbuckle that's facing away from the commentary table and the ramp and MJF sees his opportunity, slides, slithers down to the ring. Um, but Punk's got eyes in the back of his head and, uh, well, turns around, Squares off with MJF, who uh, goes to bail. Punk grabs him by the Burberry scarf, and MJF gets out of the scarf, leaves it behind. Punk is just left there holding the scarf, and MJF suddenly looks like maybe he regrets everything that he's done. What did you make of this? Not something we predicted, a a squash, effectively, for CM Punk. I like the Breakfast Club reference. Is that the Breakfast Club? The thing the scarf? Oh, yeah, I think so. Quite enjoyed that. Didn't pick that up. Quite enjoyed that. I also really enjoyed this directly and indirectly. Wilbur, I'm trying not to subtweet you here, right? But sometimes you've got to be a little bit more patient because when you see a result like Punk versus Wardle last week and you th- consider it like within the real like tapestry of mm. everything going on between Punk, Spears, Wardlow, MJF, you do something like this this week and create a comparison between well, Wardlow's miles above Spears. It should not be like just a, another running buddy of MJF's. They've created a wonderful comparison yeah, yeah. between Spears and Wardlow here, which furthers the idea of Wardlow's. Like, what am I doing dicking about with this idiot? I nearly beat this guy, this legend, and he's just killed you in like five seconds because you're a pissant, like, yeah, chance. He had his foot in his chest. Absolutely. MJF told him to mm-hmm. take it off, so yeah. Absolutely. So I love that direct parallel between last week. Again, sometimes you just have to... Let it play out, Wilborn. <laughs> yeah. Do you understand <laughs> what I'm fair. saying to you right now? Listen to Alexa, please. so i love that i also love the idea right that people want this match desperately they are being made to wait this kind of at this point they've run into a corner or so they are making you feel like they've run into a corner well he's beat sean spears in five seconds he's already beaten wardlow just we've run out of guys he's already beat ftr at holiday bash that's it he's gone through the pinnacle but Beach break's loaded. Can't do it next week. Revolution's still a little bit far away. Can't do it then. They have to now engineer a reason because CM Punk can come out next week and say, right, I've beaten the last guy that you put in front of us. It's, it's time. You just need to stop running. Is there, just off the top of my head, tell me if I'm wrong here, and I can, I can, I'll look into it whilst we're talking about it. It's Dynamite in two weeks in Chicago. Yes. Oh, so it could be then. So next week, oh, let's have it out. Fine, okay. Do you see the road to? No, I didn't see the road to actually this On the road to, it was really good. They wrong-footed you about the Sean Spears-CM Punk match in the best way. CM Punk said, sooner or later, you're going to have to fight me, and it might just be in the worst place. That was on the video package again. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So either it's happening in Chicago, 
and they're going to do a stepped up rematch at Revolution, presumably. Dog collar, I called it. Or they've put something in front of the storyline, with the idea being that they can then pull it, pull it back and then do another twist that none of us geeks can see coming. You either get the match or you're getting a fantastic reason why it's not happening yet because he's MGF appears to have run out of road. But has he? I think the reason, if it's not going to happen, um, needs to be really well thought through. Just on this angle, uh, like a terrific like episodic week for this story. The heat never it's fantastic, sub- the storyline. Yeah, like the heat never once subsided from the moment um, Spears came out through to the very end when CM Punk's nicking his scarf, no matter how miserable Jim Ross sounded about that. Like, it was just a really great little, like, a segment. That's a real forbidden door, <laughs> criticising JR's commentary. <laughs> a, a segment of television more than a match, obviously. But episodic television, as we've seen loads lately, is not easy. And the heat was there throughout this extended angle. They had that match go so quick that you thought, are we actually going to get some sort of brawl here because CM Punk is still fit as a fiddle? He's not having to sell any of the match. Mm. And they didn't have to give you it because obviously they know where they're going with this. The one, it's not a criticism particularly, but the one thing I would like them to address as part of the when and where and the how of the the match, the singles match they're going to have. So we know that MJF takes the contractually obligated dates and typically likes to take the easy matches, just does what he absolutely has to. I'm not advocating for Tony Carter to come out on the stage and give it the big nine days. However, (laughs) MJF does seem to have a lot of booking stroke. He's basically called all the CM Punk shots for the last few weeks. Flip that and give CM Punk the give him the pencil. Like how what I'm asking is how has MJF had the access to be able to book these matches yeah. and CM Punk fair enough he's accepted them because he's a babyface, but not really had any say in this. It would be quite nice now for Punk somehow to have, have arrived at that position of power and be able to say, yeah, like you have run out of road and now I call the shots and next week in Chicago I've been to Tony Khan. Or, you know, however MJF has got these. Can't punk get them too. Mm. I like I just it's not. Is it Let even it a, play out? Yeah, it's not even a plot hole. It's just I'm looking at it and thinking, well, all of this has happened because MJF has said so. It is a device. A babyface can't say no. Yeah, and a booker will exploit the hell out of this. Maybe that's just a wrestling thing. Mm. Uh, for me, this is where the show took a turn. If I'm honest, Billy Gunn has commandeered a cameraman. What a lo- like? I just want to say. And look, I know... An effort was made, at least. It was. Yeah. I'm I'm at fault for this, because I'm a mugger that stays awake sometimes. But believe me, you do not want to hear the line, Billy Gunn has commandeered a cameraman when you look at the clock and it says 1.43 (laughs) a.m. That, like, that will stick with me for a very, very long time, that moment, that very specific line. Like... In watching it live, going, skip. Like, never mind, Pete's done. Like, Hamlet's done. I don't care about the odd invisible camera. I just don't. The level of like Billy Gunn's like booked a camera crew. He's waiting outside the building for Christian Cage. He's like, right, if I'm going to do this, I've got to come up with a line that's going to come up with Christian's line to justify why the boys are there ready to attack him. It's weird. Like, it's just, that's more fake feeling than just, oh, look, we're seeing something that's happening backstage. Sometimes you just don't think about why you're seeing the thing backstage, but they're telling you so much. It's like, why am I watching this? So, yeah, uh, Christian's walking into the arena uh, and Billy Gunn does the old good afternoon uh, when your mate walks into work 10 minutes late or whatever. Uh, <laughs> it's nice you just show up sort of thing. And he says, look, you know, my boys are a top five as well. I don't know how, I haven't seen them for months, but still. Um, they're, they're, they're top five. We should get a top shot of your boys' tag team titles. Uh, and Cage says, yeah, fair. Look, your boys, they're talented. They've got your genes, big, strong, fast. But, you know, when the lights were brightest, you could never really get that statement win. If you maybe make a statement, then we'll talk. And this, of course, brings in 
the rest of uh, the uh, gun club to attack Christian Cage. Uh, they triple team him, chuck him into a sliding door and leave him laying, basically. What podcast do you think somebody with an AEW listened to that thought, you know what, we need to get Christian and Billy Gunn sharing screen together? I can't imagine this week where somebody would have happened <laughs> upon that idea within the corridors of power within AEW. Thanks for the subscribers, always. <laughs> Billy Bitch Cakes. <laughs> I mean, Jesus Christ. This comes back around to another point. Tony Khan, in aggressively expanding his roster, signing people you would be stupid not to sign, has put himself in a corner. If you look at the complexion of the tag team division and specifically the heels in it... He's run out of roads. He's run out of roads. <laughs> <laughs> he can't beat FTR again. You can beat FTR again, right? You can beat FTR. You can have Jurassic Express beat FTR on like a featured Dynamite after a long, another long storyline between those two. Because I think you can beat and beat FTR, right? And then at some point, FTR will have to say, we haven't been the same since the Young Bucks beat us. Mm. And then that's the perfect way to arrive at that feud again, which I'm desperate to see more yeah, of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's one team you can beat potentially at Revolution, right? I know FTR in the rankings, but Brody King's great and available. Let's sign him. Let's do House of Black. Can't beat them yet. Let's get Kyle O'Reilly. He's available. He's great. Right, Red Dragon. Can't beat them yet. Uh, Gun Club. What? <laughs> like, it's so, you have to beat someone at some point, otherwise you get segments of television like this. And I understand that you get segments of television like this, so that something like... Uh, Jurassic Express versus Red Dragon or Kings of the Black Throne feels really cool when it does happen because it's premium. I'm just, sometimes I'm impatient and I'm usually impatient when the gun club are on screen if I'm being perfectly honest. They're not, if you think about the pillars conversation, right, you've got Jungle Boy and all the rest of the pillars. Then you've got that subgroup underneath of like, oh, Dante Martin and you've got Ricky Starks and you've got Daniel Garcia. Has anyone ever said, oh, Austin Gunn, potential pillar? Like, I'm not being funny. No one has. Me well, only when the building he was holding up was Daly's place. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> like, <laughs> I've got no interest in this match. And I know it's going to pass by for eight minutes on Rampage, and I won't care, and I will not be offended, but like, look at that division. Let it interact with itself, for God's sake. I think the question to ask, and we all know the answer to it, is that the Dark Order were never going to win the belts, but who was more likely to have a more entertaining match? So this is, in effect, a backward step. As a viewer, not only do you not believe in the result, it's an Al Snow match. <laughs> yeah, it's got it's got no it's redeeming got... qualities. You know that infamous shoot interview yes. where it's like on that on your own by your own logic, you've never had a good match. Like shout out to Ian going by the pseudonym of Neville Southall. Absolutely <laughs> <laughs> tremendous. This is kind of a little bit like that, and it's like, well, there's no good to come of this, is there? Yeah, you're not going to get a great match, and you're not going to believe there's a title switch, like one or the other. Yeah, it's fair. But instead, none. Uh, Now it is time for Cody Rhodes' pipe bomb. Uh, He comes out to... Pipe bombs. (laughs) Yeah. He comes out to a mixed reaction, I think it's fair to say. Um, And also, I was watching this um, and didn't realise we'd gone to picture and picture as he was making his entrance. Uh, On my thing, it was just obviously they, they just keep it on. And I was thinking... He is taking his sweet time getting this ladder from underneath the ring, isn't he? So he, he does, but thankfully, apparently that was in commercial. Thank you to uh, both of you two who pointed that out to me because <laughs> I was like, drag that out a bit, didn't he? Uh, but he sets up this ladder in the ring. Uh, Imagine and he, if he'd done it first for like the 15-minute no commercial <laughs> block. He's just like, goes into business for himself a little bit. And it really makes people care about his ladder. Uh, and he gets in the ring and says, uh, what's in the news? Uh, what's in the news? <laughs> you heard about this? 
No, he says he says to the fans, "What do you want to talk about?" Uh, and he said he was reminded um, from that last match about a man who once sat on a stage, looked into a ring, and gave one of the most important addresses in the history of our sport that inspired thousands, mobilized millions, and was the first hint of a revolution. CM Punk and the pipe bomb. Um, he said someone told him to save it, but he's doing this promo now. Um, in that interview, that was the first whiff of a revolution. Uh, he laid out a roadmap. He listed things that were taboo at the time, things like going to New Japan, working with Ring of Honor, teaming with the Young Bucks. Uh, as Destiny would have it, Cody said he was unable to do those things, um, but he would eventually join AEW in a not only a comeback of the year, but potentially the comeback of the decade. We're all living and loving it. Um, and uh, he looks at the ladder he's just put up, and he says, look... Punk's absence, someone did each and every one of those things that he said. And that man was, was Cody Rhodes. He said he brought the revolution, uh, and each and every one of you cheered. Uh, why won't he turn heel? Because they cheered him when he needed it the most. Uh, he said that the audience, we are the royal family that he refers to. People talk about the forbidden door, um, and uh, he said... Before there was a forbidden door, he was the one who built it. Um, he said, look, I, I've been gone. I've been gone for a couple of weeks. I see it. Look, the, the Young Bucks almost started the Wednesday Night Wars all over again. Um, doesn't need to see the Young Bucks beat developmental again. He uh, he says, Starks is out here dealing with Jay Lethal. Um, puts over Jay Lethal's finisher. Uh, he said, one of the most talented wrestlers on the planet, uh, Malachi Black, a guy who beat him, gave him multiple losses. Um, and then he talked about a man who needed no help that ended up getting help anyway. Um, he's talked about not being the bus- being in the business of renaming people. Talked about Gunther. What was it he called him? Gunther? Oh, Gunther McGillicuddy. Yeah, not McGillicuddy. He said... He said, Brody King as well has got balls. Uh, balls to simply be around here and call himself Brody. And he talks about Brody and Darby and Miro and Sammy Guevara. Um, he's a, a men, he said, a lineage, a legacy of champions. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Honestly, talking about- I'm reading this thinking, have I, like, combined that? And I was like, no, this is what he said. He just kept going. A legacy of champions. Uh he taught us. I uh, taught us to, He talks about the TNT Championship, basically. <laughs> he did it like in South Park. Sammy got to my TNT title. Wrap it up. He uh, he said, "Look, some people talk about secondary titles, and the only reason this is a secondary title now is because there are two of them." Um, he said, "It's pretty clear what we have to do." And he looks up at the ladder again. Um, he said, "Tony Khan sent me a contract in the mail today." Not the contract that I wanted, but <laughs> regardless, he said, beach break, two titles, one champion. What do you say? Oh, What do I say? I've got <laughs> yeah. any idea. Like, I put over Murray's take. Murray said this was a spot fest of a promo where there was, like, no real substance to it. A lot of great things happening in it that possibly weren't connected to one another very well. I'm going to try and one-up that analogy. This is a big show promo because, like, he turned... He, he was heel at the start, then he turned face. Because <laughs> his delivery and his fire is unbelievable. He turns heel again because people are kind of getting lost. He said, people told me not to cut this promo yet. I was like, yeah, because you're building the, the, the best feud ever with CM Punk. <laughs> and then he's dropping that, abandoning that thread. Like, a handful. When, we, when it was like the original incredible viral marketing campaign and we were all sat like total dogs, total marks on this podcast going to have a feed with him, you can have a feed with him, can't wait for it to come. Hamlet had a great one. Mm. Sorry to step on your toes. Oh, sorry. But like 
Cody Rhodes did that, which CM Punk yeah. wanted to do. What a wonderful way for dickhead Cody Rhodes heel to rub that in his face and say, well, you should be chanting for me. Like, I'm the, I'm the guy you always wanted to be. I'm the guy you should be wrestling with. Uh, that would have been great. And he builds that match. And he waits six. The match isn't happening. <laughs> it was still great. This is great, stupid. Like, what's going on? I, I compared this to you. This, this was genuinely great. Dot, 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 a point. Yeah. I said this was Triple H-esque, i.e. that Survivor Series when he booked three matches for himself for Mania. That was the analogy I had. That was the promo equivalent of that specific match. Like, what is it? it Jackie, the, the A-Code's 47 when you absolutely kill, have to kill every motherfucker in the room. <laughs> <laughs> Just, I, um, John Moxley cut an all-time great wrestling promo at the start of the show. Cody cut an all-time great Cody one in the middle. <laughs> this, this wasn't a great wrestling promo. No one's ever Cody'd as much as Cody just Cody'd right there. I, I, I promoted the wrong thing. A, a vintage Cody Rhodes promo, this. <laughs> take that, like, take that any way you want. Take it every way you want, because he certainly did. Um, to try and analyse this with the, like, pros and cons of a normal wrestling promo is futile. I'll give it a bash. Everything he said, almost everything he said, um, was pretty powerful promo material it was um all the right fire he was like hitting key points that got you excited for a match before he moved on to the next match <laughs> the next match and the next match. but all of them individually like you know like sort of very sort of packaged little moments with these various hypothetical opponents were all pretty cool um he's i'll be cruel and just say it like he's the cleverest stupid wrestler in the game at the moment because not once not once did he attempt to thread any of this together. So he is just bouncing from line about a wrestler to line about a wrestler to line about a wrestler in the kind of thing where, like, backstage, he probably thought, this is going to be awesome. This is my State of the Union address as a kayfabe, out-of-contract guy that is a, a bit of a loose cannon. And the whole theme is that, no, they, they told me not to say that, but I'm going to say it anyway. Like, this is, like, almost like a guy, potentially, that's demob happy, that's having his last night on the job and he's kind of cutting a shoot promo on the, on the very company. Like, he's having a go at the fans, but he's pretending that he's not. He's having a go at the company, but he's pretending that he's not because that is this heel character now, a guy that's gradually starting to crack under the pressure of all of this. A lot of that is there, but that's for me to see. Cody didn't tell us any of that. Cody just went off on a bunch of different rants, like completely <laughs> one detached from another. Like, what was I, I was thinking about this. So he might have been referencing... Um, Ricky Starks and Jay Lethal. Wish you picked somebody other than Jay Lethal. But Ricky Starks and Jay Lethal. So I got a job. Yeah, as guys with indie pedigree, Ring of Honor pedigree, in contrast to Red Dragon. What did he say? Like learning hip tosses at the performance oh, yeah, center or whatever it was. Like, Apologies. But, I, I, I tried, no, 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 that's I tried fine, to get yeah. as much as I could in that but, promo. But like, I have to join those dots because he failed to do that. So if he's saying like one thing in contrast to the other, he's missed his mark completely. And it's just, right, I'm going to shoot on him now. I'm going to shoot on them now. Do that sort of thing. Um, You're going to get put over. You're going to get put over. You know? <laughs> and he didn't, that way, the, you know, was the women's division. You know? You're going to get put over. <laughs> like the, aye. And then the, well, no, the, the, you know, was Sammy Guevara. Let's be honest. <laughs> like, the one thing we didn't want to happen was him almost forgetting to promote the match that he was sent out there to promote. <laughs> the only thing looming in the background was the giant ladder. Oh, yeah, across. the ladder. Yeah, that's what I mean. There is the reminder. Like, the, uh, the four Hamlet followers will forgive me. But, like, the brass neck on Cody to take the piss out of NXT and then book a ladder match on the fly with no reason. <laughs> when there's going to be 
a face of the revolution ladder match <laughs> yeah, he's at revolution. Oh, yeah. I got one of them. Like, the, this, that wasn't the week to take a dig at NXT, was it? Like, this is what I mean. Just carnage, chaos, devastation left in his promo's wake. But, like, at this point, right, I, like, time to maybe... Like, the Cody verse is a thing now, isn't it? But, like, time to get off the idea that, like, like he's painting the biggest and most incredible picture of all. And time to just enjoy the fact that he just hot his paint at the wall, <laughs> and it, and it like it looks pretty cool. It's after Jackson the Pollock, right? It's yeah, Jackson that's Pollock. It. It's, it's a Jackson. It's a it's a, a Jackson Pollock from a car boot sale. But yeah, <laughs> it's pretty cool to look at because there's a lot of very bright colours. But it's maybe time to like give up on the idea that there's focus because clearly focus has been the biggest issue in Cody's life for the last year and a half. But like the peak of this current era of Cody was this promo. I don't know if that's a compliment or not. <laughs> When he was on that ladder at the end and saying, yep, we're going to do Sean and Razor, I'm like, oh, I want to see Cody and Punk. That, and that's a misfire. That is a misfire. As compelling yeah. as this was and as great as the delivery was, when he started putting CM Punk's goddamn name in his mouth and basically saying, I'm more CM Punk than he is, I'm thinking, do that match. He mentioned his, like, the Young Bucks as his friends, and I got like elite vibes again. Like, remember, remember that Cody was in the elite once, and they could one day revisit that and how cool it's going to be, you know? Like, yeah, the things that he was selling weren't what he was sent out there <laughs> to sell. Maybe the contract stuff is a shoot, and like Tony Khan's thinking, do I, do I want him? Maybe that's why he's not sending it yet. I, I think I'll just see where this goes. <laughs> uh, something good did come next, though. Um, we got a backstage uh, promo uh, with uh, TBS champ- women's champion uh, Jay Cargill and Anna Jay. Um, and it's being set up. It's announced that that match is, is coming next. Uh, Anna Jay's the accept- accepted the open challenge that Jay Cargill's put out there. Um, and Small Mark Sterling says, ah, you haven't got what it takes, um, but thanks for accepting the challenge, basically. And John Silver's there. I f- was worried for a split second that the two men were going to do the talking for the women. Quite like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, John Silver talks about Anna's 24-inch arms, uh, says she's hungry, and Anna Jay then says, look, Jay, do you need to realise there's a dark side to me. I, I wrapped barbed wire around my arm just to win a match. I will take, I will do whatever it takes to win. Will you? And Jade simply says, you need to understand who I am and where we are. And she points to the TBS title and says, that bitch show. Yes, I covered this in the intro and this podcast goes long enough. Hamflood? I loved it, man. Yeah. Like for all, like all the reasons Cedric outlined at the start, I loved it. I love that for me, the end game with Jade Cargill's title reign is a babyface turn that happens halfway through. She becomes um, just irresistible as somebody so popular for like Goldberg in through all of these people. Like Anna Jay now is obviously a babyface and Jade Cargo will work a heel, but she will dominate her and she will destroy her and fans back winners. So the more Jade wins or continues to win, the more that fans will back her. She'll ditch Smart Mark Sterling when the time's right. And then, I mean, it's, I'm thinking Serena D, but there's plenty of others. The heel that solves the Jade Cargill puzzle will fit perfectly because Jade will have just turned babyface organically. She will become too cool not to cheer all the time. And this promo felt like the start of it, mm. quite honestly. Like, she was, um, she didn't back down. She didn't show cowardice. She showed arrogance, but it's arrogance yeah. that's earned yeah. and informed by the fact that she's been awesome. Um, Anna, Jay is hungry, and that's absolutely fine. I'd just rather not see John Silver be so thirsty. Have you been listening to the Predicting the Next AW Champions podcast? Because I literally picked Serena D. Did you go to I, I think Spoilers, they can, everyone. But go and check it out. Me, Andy, and Sige uh, pitching all the next champions. There. When they've babyfaced Jade Cargill, I think they can get there. Uh, then we got the Varsity Blondes versus the Kings of the Black Throne, who are uh, awesome. Uh, are awesome yeah, now, really. yeah. Um, oh, it was awesome, man. Uh, Griff uh, Garrison. 
and uh, Brody King starters off. Um, Brody King and Black uh, Malachi Black work so well together. Quick tags to dominate. Uh, when Pillman gets the tag, he goes to do the springboard and just. He's not sure about it now. After what he's there ripping off AJ Styles and Chikara, isn't he? <laughs> After what happened previously, he hesitates. Brody King just stands there. Surprised no, I'm surprised he knows how to put on YouTube. <laughs> so uh, there's a there's a bit on the outside with uh, with an argument between Pillman and, and Garrison. Uh, and in the midst that, of that all that, real. there was a Sean and, Mar- Sean and Marty energy. That wasn't the Griff's, Griff's facials have never been so convincing. So Brody comes out and just trucks Garrison right into those steel steps. Uh, Pillman f- gets in the ring, starts fighting Malachi Black. Uh, he goes for a drop kick to the outside. Brody catches him, shoots him into the ring, uh, and they double team Pillman, kicks sent on, and then they do that wonderful spot where uh, Malachi Black just chucks their opponent, uh, Pillman in this case into Brody King. He catches him, hits the Dante's Inferno, as I was informed, for the victory. Post-match, uh, Malachi Black gets on the mic and asks the members of the House of Black uh, to please rise. And they're interrupted uh, by Pac on screen's, his on-screen promo. He, uh, he's he gone uh, spooky bollocks now, and I don't care. Um, <laughs> he talks about having a new vision, a purpose. He says, I may be blind, but I truly see you, Malachi Black. You're the same as other, every other cretin in AEW. Like that line. Uh, self-obsessed and power-hungry, it's exhausting. He said uh, he may have a few spells up his sleeves, but the bastard is beyond even your reach, Malachi Black. He is incorruptible. Um, this is the moment I'm expected to bow down and call you master, he says. But master. I, I will make a martyr out of black. Yeah. I don't hate this pack stuff as much as some people seem to do. It's removed from the camera effects and the suggestion of magic. Like a guy got missing his eyes, got an eye injury, and now he's recovered. That's all it is. He's ready to fight now. That's all it is. It's just a bit of a pretentious way of doing it. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about the Kings of the Black Throne because the class. The best thing about squash match, there's two awesome things about a perfect squash match. I don't think this is perfect, but it was certainly incredibly effective. One, gratuitous, cruel, funny violence. <laughs> Griff Garrison ate platefuls of shit in this. Yes. That's my God. That's awesome. That was class. So that's the one key ingredient. So just a two-course dish. <laughs> Fish and chips. <laughs> the other chips is you need to look buggered, right? You look like you cannot do anything against this tag team who's killing you within minutes. Or Sid, or Ghoul, but you, you cannot do a goddamn thing. You cannot, cannot pull back off the ropes, speared in half. You cannot run away. You can't defend yourself. You, you just, you, you, you're dead. Mm-hmm. Between Malachi Black's incredible like MMA influence, like leg sweeps and like Brody King, just squashing you with a scent on, they look like fuck. Couldn't do anything. <laughs> Absolutely <laughs> fine. Uh, yeah, they look like knackered. These two guys have got ring styles that complement one another superbly. Um, Alistair Black, low-key, great tag team wrestler. We saw that in NXT mm-hmm. and fleetingly on the main roster. The presentation's great. The theme, God's hate, rips. Like, it's all fantastic, this. Yeah, this... Give ins- them the belt. Give them the belt. Instantly, instantly rules. Um, w- this... Like, some of this isn't a shock, is it? Some of it isn't a hot take. Like, Malachi Black hits people really hard and gets over, and then is given a little bit too much 
poetic license and then needs to be dragged back into something that he like somebody should tell him how good he is at this and then <laughs> i think maybe just focus predominantly on that this tag team like just instantly feels like one of the hottest things to come along in aw in ages um timing is a bit of a shame with us knowing now how aw books the jurassic express have got to go through the ranks a little bit if the lucha brothers were still champions i'd have booked that shock win like next week week after mm. I'd have just like raced to get the titles on these two as it is they're going to have to it win it's a shame I've been like they built Jurassic Express so well last year yeah let's give them some, we're just be, we're not being dicks to Jurassic Express no we no no built them very well they're very over but we're just in love with this act yes yeah, so that's how wrestling works sometimes isn't it and like here they are at this point Packs the, uh, yeah I'm somewhere in the middle of both here I think I, I, it's, I, don't, I don't think it's ever going to work with Pack. I've not sold my stock in him. I've sold my stock in it ever working in AEW. There's always too much stop and start and off and on. He's never felt like he's quite fitted in any of the stories, except maybe when they were getting the Brutalizer over with Kenny Omega way back when in like 2019. This one is the same. I'm still getting the vibes that this isn't quite right. It's too hard to book. Mm. He's, it's a booking headache, right? You're going to be here this week, right? You're going to be away for this long, right? We can't chin you all the time and write you off, so we kind of just have to vanish you very quietly. So it's just, it's... Kind of put belts on him. Yeah. Goddamn shame. Mm. Just move. Yeah. We got a, uh, a Lance Archer video. Um, he's got Dan Lambert and Jake Roberts We live now. here. It's not that good. <laughs> <laughs> Jake Roberts speaks on, on Lance Archer's behalf. Uh, he's saying he won't wait in line anymore. Um, he's been offered a world title match, and it's now time for Hangman Page to bite the dust. We'll talk more about that when we get to the uh, post-match here. Uh, and then we got a promo from uh, Trent and Rocky Romero, I think it was. Yes. Um they sort of just interrupt Brandon Cutler, who's, I don't know, setting a camera up or whatever. Um, and Trent, starting, isn't it? Because he's apologising for Rocky Romero being a bit of a dick <laughs> to the dick that is Brandon Cutler. Um, they talked about their history with the Young Bucks and the uh, IWGP tag titles and, and et cetera, et cetera. And, uh, yeah, they offer out a, a rematch. How about we, we run that one back? Um, and, yeah, it's just the, the, the bit of conflict between uh, Trent and... Romero surrounding being nasty to Brandon Cutler, basically. But and we'll talk about this obviously on the rampage preview tomorrow. What a match that's going to be! Yes, let's just save for the preview. Mm. See, but like the Brandon Cutler stuff's really, really nice. There's a lot about the nice little things happening in this. Mm. Uh, and then we got Lance Archer versus Frankie Kazarian. I'm not sure whether this was booked to replace uh, the uh, FTR Lee Johnson and uh, Brock Anderson match. One of them. Uh, the reason why that didn't happen, by the way, is one of them. Uh, medical protocols, I think, is the is the correct terminology. The correct that's, euphemism. Not saying it. I don't. I don't care. Like there should be more transparent with it. It's, it's very. Fine. It's very WWE. I mean, then again, people might. Uh, it's not even that anymore. Roman's got COVID. You know, like they yeah. just. It's not. People cares. in question might not want it to be revealed. I guess so. Yeah. There is that to consider, but it's happened twice now. Be transparent about it. It's just such an easy win against the dicks mm. who hopefully will be conquered. So we'll have to talk about it. <laughs> Um, but yeah, we got this match. Uh, it was announced at the start of the show uh, that we were getting this match. This was a long old match that didn't really do a lot for me. And we've got to save time. We've already talked a lot on this show. So I'll give you the cliff notes effectively. Archer attacking Kazarian uh, before the bell, beating him down uh, throughout the commercial break. He did so for the next sort of eight minutes, basically, until Kazarian countered a blackout, hit a missile drop kick. Uh, but then Archer fights back, choke slam, black hole slam. He hits the blackout and he gets the victory. Post-match, Tony Schiavone gets in there, uh, asking about the relationship between not just Lance Archer and Jake Roberts, but obviously Dan Lambert. Now, Dan Lambert gets on the mic. He talks about the fact that Page wasn't raised outside. He didn't 
drink water from the hose. He uh, he said he and his friends just stayed inside, played video games, drank sparkling water. It's the biggest heel turn ever if you drink sparkling water for me, <laughs> by the way. Um, and he said the Toy Story movie made him wanted to be a want to be a cowboy. And what was that? I don't want to get this wrong. What was the, the the term he used? Jerking off a heifer, which is milk right from the teat, obviously, and nothing more. Um, he said, basically, Paige isn't prepared for Lance Archer, and Lance Archer grabs them. As soon as Dan Lambert said the word hand job, I just hopped in my mouth. Like, don't, say, <laughs> don't say something homophobic. <laughs> um, Archer gets the mic. He said he's had enough of this cowboy BS. He's going to show Paige what he's going to do, and he chucks Kazarian out onto the ramp. He takes a chair with him. He's going to choke slam him onto it, basically, until Hangman Paige's music hits. He makes this save. Um, he slaps Archer across the face after they square up. They trade strikes. Um... Archer goes for the chair on the ramp. Page kicks him into the ring, goes to the bookshop. Archer counters it, and eventually Page punches him over the top rope. Um, and uh, that was the end of the segment. What did you make of the match and the post-match? Jesus too? Christ, this goddamn match. It was the three-minute heel heat spot in a commercial break, and that was the match. Ten minutes of that, yeah. There was a little tiny hope spot tacked on at the end of it, but people have lost all faith in Frankie Kazarian as a result of the terrible book and he was subjected to last year. Um, they were talking about it, and he's been on a big win streak, haven't they? And I was like, well, I haven't seen it. Yeah, so. it's another one of them, isn't it? Look, this was fairly disastrous, if I'm honest, because Hangman Page, like, his stock should be so much higher. Look, he got a major reaction. I thought that Page Archer Brawl was just hot enough, but... It just I wasn't up for it because of how dire the match was. Yeah, you gave us a cliff notes on the match I wish AEW had. This was <laughs> otherwise, like on paper, this is quite a resourceful solution to a problem arising with that tag match not being able to go ahead. You find a way to give Lance Archer an easy win and then get to the Hangman Page stuff. Why couldn't it have been a really easy win? Like is Frank if Frankie Kazarian was worth protecting, you would have protected him more in the like Bullet Club Hunter, the elite hunter stuff and you and you didn't. Um and what we got, like Vibes, vibes, man. It like really dragged down the show at this point, and it got back up really quickly. But it, it doesn't help. Hang on, Paige. Uh, there is still, I think, uh, it's it's in the back of everybody's minds because the Danielson matches were awesome. But I think there's a, still a bit of lingering doubt about mm, yeah. Paige as a, like I don't know. Maybe he's a regular weekly TV fixture champion. I, I, it doesn't feel quite yet that he's the company figurehead in the way that all the other champions did. No. Maybe it was always going to feel different. He's a, he's a different proposition to Omega, Jericho and Moxley. But, I don't know, this felt extremely mid-card. There were a lot of stuff on the show that felt like it was more prominent in the discourse and discussion than this feud. Um, we've got uh, Matt Seidel, uh, Lee and Dante Martin uh, there. Uh, Lee says he's going to watch Dante back. Dante's back just like he's watched theirs, you know. Brother, until his brother comes back, basically, and they again, as, as Sid alluded to earlier, then cut to Starks and Hobbs, who go, "You got a bloody baby brother complex, haven't you? How many brothers do you think you've got? Nobody's your mate." Piss myself and counting on the f- again. They're listening. <laughs> like this is a kind of a ludicrous thing. All these people want to put an arm around Dante Martin, and they're just counting on the fingers like these these dweebs that Team Taz just need to wreck. Great. Um, and he, they said he's going to find out he's all alone. You need to watch every angle because Team Taz builds assassins. Love the format. Won't talk about that anymore. Wesley or Rush? Yeah, that's a big question. That's fair. Uh, I want to talk about what came next with you, though, Michael Hamlet, because we get an interview with Chris Statlander and Red Velvet, and up comes... Oh, hang on one second. Where are all my manners? In comes Layla Hirsch. And God bless 
the United States. Uh, she says, uh, Chris Statlander is... <laughs> I'm mean, going to better stop doing that from what she just did in this segment. Uh, she accused Chris Statland of not being focused enough uh, for their match on Rampage and costing her money, effectively. Red Velvet tries to calm her down. Layla just tells her to shut up, chins her, uh, chins both of them, in fact, uh, and puts a, an arm bar on until officials have to break her up. It's happening. Interruptions are great when they're not cliches. This was a spontaneous combustion, not somebody waiting around a corner to like spring on somebody with an attack. It was earned. It's been built um, Layla Hirsch is now going to be fo- based on how like AW books Layla Hirsch and Chris Statlander are going to feud and Layla Hirsch is going to be focused upon and I think we've all wanted all of that what I've just said for quite a while so a, a success story this looks like a badass doesn't she she looks like a total badass if you don't do interruptions the few interruptions you do actually mean something and are allowed to feel hot this did I bemoaned the direction they were taken with Layla Hirsch, because I just think her story's great, and she looks at the size of her, she's a great baby face. And then she does this, and I'm thinking, ah, you know more than I do. Mm-hmm. The team Taz calls her back, aren't they, when you see an attack like this? Serena Deeb versus Sky Blue. Next. Uh, won't take long for me to recap this. She just dominated her, out-wrestled her, guillotined her over the ropes, uh, hit a brutal deep tox, uh, goes after Blues. I mean, she's got the match won again. Uh, she rolls her over, goes after the knee, and gets the sub- uh, submission following a serenity lock that she doesn't really let go of for quite some time. She's just so mean. So mean, so skilled, so ruthless. It's just great. It's a great squash match, this. Fantastic squash. Two things I want to isolate quickly because Deeb deserves it. The angle on the Deeb talks, how you do a Styles Clash and frame it like a snap suplex without killing somebody, I don't know. <laughs> because Jesus Christ, what was that, like a 30-degree snap like when she went down on... Uh, unbelievable. Like, but like technique, just perfect technique to look as dangerous as possible. Um, the Serenity Lock gets crueler and crueler and crueler the more oh. defeated the opponent is, which is such an inspired way to finish when you're a heel. Um, and look what happens when you book a wrestler with consistency. Did you hear the deep, 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 deep chants in the crowd? That's what happens when a wrestler doesn't disappear for a fucking month. Like, full credit them. This is not... Cedric's pointed this out before, and it's a great observation. Those Jade Cargill squashes are kind of an excuse sometimes. See, we gave you a women's match. It's 30 seconds. Yeah. It's 30 goddamn seconds. This is both. This is the women's match, and it's 30 seconds to a minute for a purpose. Love this. Uh, Dan Lambert's making uh, earning his money tonight because he's then uh, backstage with the men of the year, Scorpio Sky, Ethan Page, the tightest tits in the game. How's that working out for us so far? Mm. Yeah, not great. <laughs> We've still got time. We've got time. Summer's way off yet. Um, they say Moxley returns and everyone bloody scatters, but not Ethan Page. He said, don't let the fancy clothes fool you or the sunglasses. I am up to the task. Um, you don't need to look around because whilst John's been gone, I've been out here dominating, running the show, basically getting wins. Um, don't take me lightly. And uh, he says, Khan, if you want that marquee match on Friday, book Page versus Moxley. Perfect. Perfect. He's got the brilliant face. He can go. He's in the perfect position on the card to... St- Moxley to steamroll through. Uh, just an inspired match graphic, this. And he got a partner for Eddie Kingston to make the save from. Yeah. Eddie Kingston's him. injured. Is he? Yeah. It's not a big Box. one. Like, I think it's a three-week orbital bone deal. Enough to keep him off the GC dub show. Imagine if he had the things, though. Like, the, you know, the masks they wear in football. Somehow make that look better. Yes. <laughs> yeah, great. A great pairing. Um, I'll get to the main event. Okay. Got Darby Allen and Sting and the acclaimed. But first, 
Hardy family office and Andrade El Idolo. Uh, they announced that Matt Hardy has sold 51% of the HFO, um, but they were still going to hold the majority of the board's seats. Uh, Hardy's going to be CEO, Andrade is going to be new president, and they are now going to be known as the AHFO. And Andrade wants to buy that little boy, Darby Allen. Is this fing shit on purpose? <laughs> Boards of directors and seats at the table and that. Like, we all quite enjoy Andrade. The idea of Andrade buying Darby Allen ahead of them having an absolute ripper on a pay-per-view is great. And Andrade looks like he's having fun with it too. The rest of this was absolute toilet. And they're taking the piss out of us with the level of... Like, they felt like they were taking the piss out of the butcher and the blade. So, like, at least they felt relatable. Just... What is this? I've got no idea what it is. They've ruined the one good thing about Andrade that wasn't him bumping stupidly on his head. <laughs> oh, God, diving into fire. It's the only good thing he's been... It's, only, it's, always, it's always good for an AEW Andrade. It's just working um, CTE matches with Pac. <laughs> and then he's got. He's finally got this like really cool storyline idea. You finally get a flash of like oh, wit. And then my heart gets involved. <laughs> <laughs> and, whoa, God... Damn it. They've got the same job titles. Like, the job titles are effectively synonymous. It's 51 I, That's 49. what I want from my wrestling business terminology. <laughs> Do you remember when, like, Edge and Christian took the piss out of all the multi-layer authority? They were like, we're so working for the faction. Yes. There was, there was the faction, there was the regime, and they were like, it was like, it was go, like, go, like really good, Brian, go, it's sort of mocking the process a little bit. Like, private party or the butcher and the blade need to do that. Like, who's a boss here? <laughs> Like, who are we working for? What are we doing now? <laughs> uh, main event time, the Acclaimed versus Darby, Allen, and Sting. Uh, brilliant video again from the Acclaimed, mocking the black and white Darby, Allen videos. Um, I want to give a nod as well to Max Caster's excellent rap. Uh, the Acclaimed, beating that ass if you're hating, fighting with us is gory self-mutilation. Lovely. Uh, and also a reference to making this night for Sting worse than Starcade 97. Class. Did you catch Shivani? I don't know what was going on at Starcade 97. I got mixed emotions, I've got to be honest about this match. Uh, because they attack during Sting's entrance and they do the spot where they wrap a chair around Darby Allen's neck and send him into the ring post. Uh, he's taken away by medics. And Sting ops to fight two on one. Can I put the medics over here? I thought they were fantastic. I thought they were goddamn fantastic. That's what I they looked yeah. like. Jesus Christ, the situation is developing here. I thought they were great. Not histrionic, just no. really well yeah, done. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, so Sting, because he's a legend, uh, decides to carry on and just fight the match two on one. Uh, he holds his own, fights off both of them. Um, but as he goes for a Stinger splash, Bowens avoids it and rips off the turnbuckle pad. So uh, Sting goes into the goes into the metal uh, and uh, eats a drop kick, two count off the back of that, um, and they beat him down th effectively throughout the commercial. Uh, when we come back, Sting fights back, uh, double clotheslines, puts on a scorpion deathlock on Caster. Bowens does the discus forearm, and Sting just looks at him, which was just <laughs> sensational. Um, Bowens finally does manage to break it up, uh, and he also twats Sting with a boombox on the outside. They are looking to beat him down even further. The steel steps are going to get involved. And then here comes Dolby Allen, who's apparently fine now, uh, which, you know, popped the crowd. It pissed me off. I, I, I have to admit, I was not a fan of this. I, just, I thought it was absolutely preposterous that if he's come come back from having his neck crushed effectively. It's just throat. No, I'm not having it. But regardless, I get it why people were... Pilmanize him. He didn't have to cut a promo at the end. Oh, yeah. Sting, I'm here. I'm here, Sting. <laughs> 
So he hits a diving tackle onto Max Caster. He gets the hot tag, and, and you know what? At that point, I was right back into it. Uh, coffin drop on both the acclaimed out on the floor. Hits a code red. That gets a near fall. Uh, put Caster in a, in a hanging guillotine, uh, but Caster managed to make it to Bowens for the tag, and they fight back and hit the mic drop. Sting breaks up the pin attempt. He gets sent to the outside. Uh, Caster's sent out there as well, and his Sting is sort of recovering, uh, and Caster is letting us say, we're going, bloody hell, this is a... Taking it out of me a bit. Uh, Sting diving splashes onto Caster through the table and back in the ring. Uh, Darby Allen hits a stunner and the coffin drop for the victory for the acclaimed. I thought this was cracking. I thought it was expertly constructed in the way that there's a formula, but they subverted it and still make it work. There is a formula and Sting does all the work. It's, it's weird and it's, <laughs> yes. and it's fantastic, but like they did it in a different way this time. Um, genuinely had a massive smile on my face watching this. Like getting Sting to do these crazy spots, but measuring them perfectly because he spent a lot of time just doing dark arts craftsman stuff where like, he was roaring after being kicked, trying to break up the Scorpion Deathlock um, with the kick. He's roared in their faces. Like <laughs> that requires no work whatsoever. Just brilliant facial expressions and of when to do certain things. So that preserves that body, that miraculous body, to do that incredible spot. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, this is magic. I will, however, say. That unless they're going to do something ridiculous, like Darby and Sting versus Jurassic Express at Revolution, I'm ready now to want to love Sting all over again. And the way to accomplish that is by not doing something like this for about a month and a half. Yeah, I've, I'm already there, in truth. I, I didn't have, like, I, I, I like this, but I didn't feel much for it, you know? Like, I like the action in front of me. Um, I saw, I was watching live and I was online at the time and there was a few comments suggesting, oh, it's like surprisingly heatless in the building. I don't agree with that. I think AW kind of reaped what they sowed here. This is actually a reminder of the booking failures of the last month or so. This wasn't a particular, like their videos were great. The private party, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. sorry, the um, acclaimed viral videos were tremendous. But the start, like very, very basic, which is fighting for fighting's sake really. And I think that's what the wrestlers got in the building on the night. Like, you would be treated to some pretty entertaining spots and some nice sting moments and all this. And the acclaimed are great and growing and improving. Um, but this didn't feel like a big sting match. This didn't have the atmosphere yeah. of one of these big... For me, anyway, they're one of these big sting and derby tag matches. Um, a nice television main event, a nice way for a good dynamite to go off the air. But it didn't leave much. Wouldn't be the, the big sting spot, as big and as bombastic as it was, will be gone out of my head tomorrow compared to the double or nothing one against men of the year that like I still go back and rewatch quite yeah, regularly. Yeah, yeah. There's kind of like levels to the use of Sting. And I think like I think Sidgwick's point, I think I must have passed at the last match. Um and it doesn't hurt, you know, to not split them up but separate them a bit because Derby's effectively a tag wrestler at this point. And if you want to get him back on the single track, at some point you're gonna have to build a bit of distance back between them. And you know what? They're going to because he's working Andrade. Yeah, 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 yeah. To do it. So it's one I get it's one I just let it play out. Maybe that'll splinter off and you can just do Sting and Matt Hardy singles. Let's <laughs> know your thoughts on that and all of the things we've discussed today on Twitter at WhatCultureWWE. Watch, they can follow all three of us, of course. You can follow Michael Hamflit at... Michael Hamflit. Follow Michael Sidgwick at... M. Sidgwick. Follow me at Adam Wilborn. Follow us all at WhatCultureWWE. As I said, make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling, wherever you get your podcasts from, for daily wrestling podcasts. We will be back later on today to discuss potential Royal Rumble winners. Just over a week to go until that one. Uh, but for now, this has been the AW Dynamite Review. My thanks to the Dadly Boys. Thank you for joining us, and we will see you soon. Selling a little or a lot? <laughs> 
Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 